Welcome to Comeback. I am your host, Connor, and today my guest is Nicholas Tan. Nicholas is an entrepreneur and coach and one of the co-hosts of the Saigon-based Creators in Saigon podcast. We are going to discuss entrepreneurship, coaching, work-life balance, time management, key lessons learnt in his business and entrepreneurial journey to date, and a little bit more. As a long-time fan of the Creators in Saigon podcast, I'm extremely excited to complete the trio of interviews alongside Dana and Tuasi. Nicholas, welcome. How are you? How are you, Connor? Thank you, and uh, thank you for inviting me today. And uh, yeah, I'm happy to uh, discuss all of these topics. I hope we will have enough time. But in any case, like uh, I'm, uh, I'm eager to share as much as possible I can, you know, with 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 you today and with your audience. So um, shoot me with your questions, please. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, the first one that I always give, just for a basic overview, can you tell me a bit more about your upbringing and life growing up? You grew up in France, I believe. Yes, so I'm from France, and I grew up my first 20 years of my life in France. So my father is from Vietnam, he's adopted. So it's it's like he's looking Vietnamese, but he's not exactly Vietnamese, if you uh, can uh, understand. So he was uh, adopted by a French family. And um, my mom is actually born in Algeria and she, she's French, but uh, she was um, born and raised in a family that were living in Algeria back in the days. And uh, she moved to France when she was young. So both of my parents are some sort of a, multicultural like part of the multiculturality that we are um having in france yes. and I, I was born in this environment where you know you actually I, I, it was a really small town and um and uh and then yeah it, it was it was more like uh um learning to to play with you know dif the differences that we have between cultures more than uh, um you know, defending one culture over another. Yeah, I see. And did you find that challenging at all? Perhaps, you know, having, were you a minority at that point? Would you describe it in that sense? Um, yeah, somehow, yes. Because, uh, of course, you know, when you, uh, um, like, th there is these little things where, that I remember where, you know, for example, my, because my mom is, like, white and looking French, right? But when she was working with us, especially because my uh, my parents divorced when I was like eight years old, so all my childhood somehow I I was with my mom and my sister, and all the the, the people around they were like oh they are nice you adopted them and everything and it was it was it, it was somehow weird you know because um, I would I would have to introduce myself as half Vietnamese mm -hmm. but not exactly fitting in the half Vietnamese um, picture because only on appearances I was half Vietnamese. And by saying this over and over when I was introducing myself in my childhood, um, it was not a trauma at all. Uh, honestly, um, I think in France, we have a, a very high tolerance to multiculturality. It's probably changing over the last few years, but um, I, I, I like to say that, you know, the vast majority of the people, they are, they are really, really, 
they don't they don't really care about you know where you come from and 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 if you are white or black or or yellow or or orange you know so and actually it's your it's your it's a choice uh you can choose to hang out with people of colors you can choose to hang out with uh just white people it's it's yours to decide and if you meet someone who is not tolerant about this then you just have to leave i mean like we are free to leave right so um that's one good thing and so yeah so when i was uh growing up like this that raised inside me the question of you know oh but i say that i'm half vietnamese but i actually don't really know you know uh what is vietnam and and, and all of that so yeah it's 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 a it's a long journey uh, if you if you consider that you know uh, understanding all of this. Yeah, of course, I can only imagine. And with that, you mentioned your first twenty years were in France. Was it then that you came to Vietnam? Were you twenty years old? And if so, what was it about Vietnam that brought you here? Yeah, exactly. So that's where I'm coming with this story. Is like. Um, when you when you introduce yourself as half Vietnamese and you don't exactly know what it means, when you become 20 years old, you somehow uh, start to feel like, oh, but I should actually, you know, discover more this part. And I'm the oldest in the family, so uh, even my father, he didn't come back to Vietnam or he didn't, you know, show us Vietnam um, because probably he had. Uh, potentially a trauma, I guess, about, you know, being adopted and scared to maybe come back to, to Vietnam. I don't know if we have to ask him the question, to be honest. Um, but when I was 20, like, I, um, I was I was in a, in a school that allowed me to um, do a gap year in the program, so I could stop studying and I could do an internship and, and still be part of the school, but um, validate an internship abroad for a year. Um, and kind of do whatever I wanted to do during that year. So I decided, like the first country that came to my mind was, was Vietnam. Mm. I decided to go and, uh, and, and actually that was amazing because when you arrive and you're half Vietnamese and you say that you're half Vietnamese, this time, you know, like your, your French side becomes the foreign part. And, uh, and that was surprising because people around would be like, oh, but you are, you know, part of the, Part of the the blood of the country, you know, <laughs> yeah. if I may say so, and so I was really welcomed, and that kind of, you know, disrupt dis disrupt me in a bit because uh, I, at some point I was feeling like, oh, but I'm Vietnamese, you know, I'm like them, and uh, I do exactly, and and one day at, I remember one one long last lasting night with a friend, a Vietnamese friend. We enter this uh, small restaurant and I don't know, somehow I start complaining and he's like, Nico, I think you are not, you know, 50-50, um, you know, you're not 50-50 Vietnamese, 50 French, you know, you are 100% French or he said something like this. Right. And yeah. I remember that shocked me because I was like, ah, but he's right actually, you know, and, and that was the end, that was around the end of the, the gap year that I had in Vietnam. So I had to, the opportunity to come back to France with that sentence in my head, be like, but actually, you know, like I look like, you know, 50, 50 something, but I'm hundred percent French because I grew up in France. And even when I am in Vietnam, um, I see everything from a French perspective, I guess. Um, 
And so that when I came back after my studies to open my business, and, and I guess we're going to talk about it in a little, in a little bit, um, that's, that, that, that stayed uh, in my head. I was like, I have to do it the way, you know, from my perspective, that's very important to stay still with your identity and, and to understand the, all these things. So uh, now I see myself more like, okay, I'm French living in Vietnam. I'm half Vietnamese, so I'm half accepted, but that's, you know, that's, that's a bonus and that should not be, you know, the main core of my identity. That should be something that is a bonus, especially in Vietnam. Yeah, I see. And with that, you know, identity shift, did you, were you ever exposed to any sort of Vietnamese culture, i.e. the language, the food, any of the customs, traditions, was any of it ever perhaps imposed on you in your early life or was it literally, as you mentioned, a solely French upbringing? Yeah, no, my, fr- my father is, uh, is drinking red wine and, and we eat bread and, and Vietnamese and the French, uh, French food the whole, the, whole, the whole time. So uh, he, he knows French philosophy. He, he studied a bit about Vietnam and he, he's looking Vietnamese. So um, it makes him closer to, to his roots. But definitely like when I was growing up, like we were, we were a French family, I guess. Or we can say like this. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I suppose then once you'd come back and you'd had that gap year and you were in France, what were the next step the ne- excuse me? What were the next steps that you took? Was it a case of almost instantly coming back to Vietnam? How did it work? Yeah, so when during my gap year, it's a very good question because during my gap year, I um, I instantly felt the the vibe, you know, like this uh, vibrant vibe that there is in Saigon, and for people who've never set foot in Saigon Airport and in Saigon outside of uh, in the cities, in the city and in the streets, um, the first hour is you love it or you hate it somehow, I guess. Um, and for me, it was it was amazing. I was like, wow. I mean, I always use this metaphor where I'm like, I feel like I'm in a train. You know, like I'm I've de- I've just entered a train, yes. and it was it was a de- like it was a fast. It's going very very fast, and it was a decision that you know uh, to to be in that move, to be in that in that train, and uh, in, instead of staying you know at the station and and waiting for another one. And because they are not waiting for you, they are not waiting for any anyone. And and so when I when I first arrived, I was taken by this energy. I was um, somehow drowned as well, you know, because it's it's a lot of energy. In France, we are not that fast, you know. We are not. We we take the time to make decisions. We schedule things three months in advance, six months in advance. We know what we're gonna do in two years. You know, it's scary somehow, but. In, and in Vietnam, they just, you know, like they have an idea of selling something. They, they just, you know, they make it. And tomorrow it's posted on Facebook and they start advertising about it and, and they make it happen, you know, somehow. So it's a very, very different perspective again. And, um, and, and so I was really seduced also by this because I was like, wow, uh, I love when things are, you know, acting, like when there is, there is movement and, and this energy is, is speaking to me. So I started to hang out with 
a lot of entrepreneurs here during my gap year. My bosses, I loved to hang out with them, uh, to you know meet other uh, some of their peer, peers and 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 hang out and everything. And the discussions we were having were about you know business, growing, um, making uh, making uh, making money, uh, doing uh, international stuff. Uh, that was really interesting for me, who, who were you know not really used to all this, but really attracted to that. And um, and that was a really good lesson. So when I came back to finish my studies, I was like, okay, now I have to make a choice. It's like, uh, do I want to, you know, follow a more stable path where I would be, you know, maybe taking things uh, the way I always have taken them. That means, you know, the French way somehow, or I dive into this Vietnam energy, I hop on my motorbike and I try to build businesses or try to, uh, you know, to make a living with, with, with building my, my, my own um, entrepreneur journey. And that's what I did. So I, when I was still a student, I decided I was already having a project to come back to Vietnam and to, um, and to, to do business here. Yeah. Yeah, I see. And your first business that you started up in Vietnam was that the hostel which you owned? No the hostel is actually a uh, series so it's 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 like part of the idea that I had but um, it was not the first attempt I made of it so my first idea my my first business idea was to help interns like I was foreign interns to come to Vietnam and find companies to work for them. And the first thing, the first idea, the really first idea was to ask the students to pay for this internship, uh, like any other internship agencies, you know, like they take care of the visa, they take care of the internship, they make sure that the company is reliable and everything. And I remember the first, so the first clients I found were like five students. And despite my good intentions to make these internships happen, um, some things, you know, uh, didn't work really well because uh, I made these interns, you know, pay for something. Normally students, you know, you don't really have money, right? And these companies, they were not really caring about these students as, as I thought they would, you know? And, um, and so I decided to change my business to be more like, okay, now the internships are going to be free for students. I'm going to headhunt these students to come to Vietnam because they have particular skills. So they have somehow like, you know, uh, motivation to come and also an interest in learning and coming in Vietnam because they can be useful and because they can share what they know, you know, when you come from a, a from France or from England, and you studied business or engineering, you can be really um, useful for some companies here in Vietnam who still uh, struggle with marketing, for example, or struggle with logistics and everything. So that was the idea. And also eventually help the students to find a job afterwards. So like if they wanted to move to Southeast Asia to have a job, I could help them for free. This was free for students. And I was asking the company to pay for that service because basically I would source a future staff for them coming from abroad and helping this person to adapt to the country and their, and their culture. And this really worked. This really worked. Uh, it was called Jump in Vietnam. 
And um, we were bringing a lot of students to, to Vietnam thanks to this. And actually after that, I realized that what I loved the most was to organize parties and organize events with these students, help them to you know, adapt to the country, discover Saigon the way you know, things are, more than the recruitment process and all the this administrative work you know behind your desk yes. where you have to do interviews and it's boring and, and you know uh, all these things so <laughs> i decided to stop the recruitment part and focus only on welcoming students and that's how i invested in a house built a hostel and it it actually started to attract students in the first place but then we realized like travelers would like the vibe, you know, because some of the travelers, the backpackers are students. And so, um, and I, I would love to hang out with world travelers, you know, I could help a world traveler who is actually here to discover the country um, rather than, you know, doing mass tourism and destroying environments. Um, that was, that was a like I, I, I realized that, you know, a lot of travelers would actually come and be curious about Vietnam, but in three weeks or months, they could not see the real insider's point of view of Vietnam. Yeah, of course. So, yeah. So that was what I was, you know, that, that's how this hostel came to the world. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell me a bit more then? And I did read the blog that you recently posted about the lessons learned from that period, but the hostel Obviously, it did quite well in terms of a professional sense, ranked number one on Hostel World and TripAdvisor yeah. for Ho Chi Minh. However, you know, it was it had its pros and cons for you. Can you tell me a bit more about that period where the hostel was doing quite well and you had invested a lot of your energy into it? Yeah, exactly. And uh, that's a very, very, I think that's well summarized because that's my biggest lesson. Um, I learned from that experience is that I I gave all my energy to this project because I really wanted it to work and somehow like I made it but personally like I was really miserable I was really um, not really I, I was not even listening to myself like I, I was just sometimes not eating sometimes only drinking sometimes um, I had a girlfriend, like she was next to me, but I was not even listening to her. Um, I was not even caring much about her. And, um, and all of this, like um, at some point I had to realize it, like I had to uh, face it just because I had a physical, you know, injury that, that, that had me um, lying down the bed for 10 days in a hospital mm. and during these 10 days, I could not run my hostel. So I just had only one option is like to look into myself and be like what I've become. And I'm, you know, I'm almost dying on a hospital bed. And because of what, you know, like it's, <laughs> it's really sad. And, um, and at that moment, I, I, I really, I, I really understood like, okay, there is the business, there is uh, the success that we are looking for. There is this mission that we try to achieve, but we cannot achieve it if we don't have a functional body, if we don't have a, you know, if we don't take care of ourselves first. And, and step by step after that episode, I started to look into more, you know, uh, uh, 
ways to be able to operate my business while taking care of myself. And I was really, you know, it's, it's really step by step because even if you know, it's impossible to master it, you know, from the first, if, if it's the first time you have to do it, it's, it's going to miss, you know, it's going to, it's going to be a failure for sure. Right. So it was the first time I had to think of taking care of myself. And it was in 2018. And I think I'm still today, you know, uh, trying to understand all this. Um, so it's a really long journey, but you go step by step and uh, eventually you, you, I've never had to go to hospital again, you know, so maybe it's already somehow a, a success. <laughs> yeah, of course. And with that, can you tell me a bit more about perhaps time management required, where obviously a balance is key between work and personal life, making sure that, yeah, your business is booming and doing well, but also that you're not sacrificing your health as a result. And as I mentioned, I read some of your blogs and I can't remember the exact formula, but there were four ways of scheduling time. I think it was urgent, basically goes from urgent and can be done soon, etc. I can't remember the exact formula. However, how did you then manage time, your time since, you know, what sort of things did you do to make sure that you did have the time for both yourself and your business? Mm. Did you delegate? Did you, um, think of alternative methods how did it work for you yeah it's a, it's a bit of everything um you you are when you realize that you need more personal time and you cannot take care of everything that you cannot be the center of your business anymore that you cannot um wake up at 4 a.m to welcome a guest and prepare breakfast at 6 a.m and party until 2 a.m at the same time you realize that you have to make decisions so i guess it's the first thing that you have to do is to make the decision of you know um stop doing this or start doing this or replacing things or rearranging your your time and to do this i would say um well one of the things that i hate doing uh before was you know to schedule and to to have a plan I used to like to, you know, freestyle and, and go with the flow and not really know what I'm going to do tomorrow. It was like kind of a freedom of, of choice, you know. And when you are young, you need to also, I guess, express that. And that's the way I, I, I found, like, to not schedule things. I was like, okay, that's, that's how I'm going to change the, the reality. You know, I'm not going to plan anything. But now, like, um, I'm realizing that, I don't need to plan everything, but I just need to plan uh, some scheduled, you know, hours or period of time in the day that will be for this thing and that will be for that thing. So, for example, um, when I wake up in the morning and for the first two hours in the morning, I try to avoid, I, I, it's not trying, it's like, this is personal time. So even if it's not going perfectly the way I want, like maybe sometimes I'm gonna skip meditating or I'm gonna skip breakfast or whatever, it's going to be me time. So it's going to be anything that is related to um, taking care of my apartment, myself, my wife, my cat, whatever, walking down the street. If I, I mean like this last four months we couldn't, but okay, it would be go to the, go to swim or it would be have a coffee in the terrace, no phone, maybe a book, you know, 
And this way you reappropriate uh, the time that you have to your own, um, to the things that you want to do actually, to, to your mission in life, to, to think about your mission in life if you don't know yet. So all these things is important and, um, and eventually eat at the right time um, and, and know, so this is from a book that actually maybe you interviewed, this person is called Darren Joe, maybe he's in Vietnam as well. Uh, I can give you the don't believe so, no. Yeah, um, because he, he wrote a book, it's called uh, The Fail Safe Solopreneur. And in this book, he says like, it says very, it says something very important is like, learn to take some time off, like learn to be satisfied with what you've done today, stop it, you know, reflect on this, and allow yourself to have some time off. And this is something I'm trying to do. Of course, it's not perfect because I'm always kind of hyperactive and trying to do things. But um, for example, Saturday and Sundays, they are always uh, for things that are you know, personal and things that are not really going to um, produce, I would say, anything for, for my business growth or for things like this. Yeah. No, I see. And I like that message, actually. And it brings me to something I heard on a podcast recently from a former UFC champion who said that days off are actually a sign of confidence in that you are so confident in the work that you've done, you allow yourself the ability to rest. So I actually, I think, yeah, once you reframe it in that perspective, mm -hmm. then time off doesn't become anywhere near as daunting. Yeah, and this, this person is probably someone I want to hang out with now, you know, like these people who who understand these kind of things. No, because um, every, so every month I, I, I'm, plan, I'm not planning, I'm just setting some goals. I'm like, okay, this month I want to ride this or I want to achieve that or I want to, I want to do this and that. And let's say because you set these goals, somehow you are driven toward these things. And every week, the things that you do are going to be in order to achieve those goals, right? And so if you do this, the chances are that in two weeks or in three weeks, you will, if it's the first time you do it, you probably set some goals. And because you are scared not to reach these goals by the end of the month, you'll probably have reached them by you know, the first two weeks. And, and usually like when, I, when this happened, then instead of what I would do in the past would be, I'm setting more goals, you know, and I'm filling up my basket. No, uh, I take these next two weeks as, you know, vacations be like, oh, now I can, you know, work on things that are not goal oriented. I can read books or I can do other things. And I'm still going to be happy because I'm the one setting up the goals. I'm the one controlling my agenda now. And that's, that's very different from what I was doing before. Before, like, I would, you know, wake up, light a cigarette, drink coffee, get to work, start to help my guests, I start to help my staff, uh, take people on a tour, um, do things. And then it would be the end of the day and I would just go to bed because I have to sleep, but not because I want really to, you know, have this in my, my day. If I could not sleep, I remember I was trying to not sleep. Like I was trying to uh, make sure that I could sleep the least amount of time, so I had the most amount of time to be able to to do my business. You know that that, that was yeah. that was really 
really different from what I am now. Yeah, I see. And right now, in terms of your personal development, do you have any specific practices that you abide by? For example, meditation, exercise, journaling. Are there any particular favorites for you? Mm, favorites? Well, meditation. Um, ah, favorite. It, interestingly, um, I think one of the main thing that changed for me was when I stopped smoking. So I was a heavy smoker, and especially because in Vietnam, the pack of cigarettes is really cheap, so uh, it doesn't really help. And it's easy to find people who smoke. You can smoke in public places. In, you can smoke in the restaurant. So it's really easy to, if you are tempted or if you want to smoke, like to find you know, the right to do it, and, and, and you can do it. So I decided to stop smoking by, I think it was 2019, just before COVID. And um, it was because I read this book, it's called Atomic Habits. Yes. And I think this is my superpower now. Like I'm seeing things that, you know, you tend to be addicted to as a habit. So if, for example, um, um, you're like, oh, but I like this kind of, you know, I like sugar, for example, or I like coffee, my coffee in the morning. And if you are feeling addicted to it, it's probably because you are used to do this, you know? And if you don't want to do it anymore, then it's, it's just, big, um, it's just a, you, you could see it more as a habit rather than a, as an addiction. And, um, and that's how I viewed my cigarettes afterwards. I was like, oh, but wait, whenever I smoke, actually it's because I'm doing this thing or it's because I'm used to do this. So let's say now I stop doing this and I replace it by something else. Etc. 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 And so, uh, so yeah, like that's one particular thing I do. And within this, because you try to see things rather uh, as habits more than um, uh, addictions or or bad things, you know, that happen to you or things like that. Then I started to you know get interested in meditation, um, in um, eating the right things at the right time and stop uh, watching too much, you know, entertainment, uh, but rather uh, consuming some content that will, you know, um, help me to, to understand what I am, understand uh, myself, like, read good stories as well. Like, you know, you don't have to um, read all the personal development books. Like uh, I've, I've read some stories, um, some, some, some books that are just, you know, someone who is doing something and he's telling his stories. In the end, you learn about personal development because you learn about his stories, you know? So um, all these things are interesting. And, and, uh, and of course, yeah, I'm still searching about this, like um, breathing, uh, meditating, all, all these kind of things. Um, of course, it's, uh, it's something that for me, I would say everyone is going to find their own, um, their own, you know, activity that makes them at peace or that makes them, you know, reflect with themselves. And that's the most important because if you like to go shoot some things in the, in the range, well, why not? You know, if you like to ride a horse and that's your active meditation and why not, you know, you're connecting with the nature or things like that. Any activity can be powerful like that. Um, you can take a ride some people I know some people they go for a ride when uh, like every morning or things like that if it's if it's an activity like this like uh, 
I think it's uh, it's it's worse it's worse to to consider it as something part of your you know your system. Yeah, of course, and I suppose that's your self development practice, and we've discussed your business. Can we talk a bit about the coaching that you do? What exactly are you up to in the coaching realm nowadays? Mm, so it's it's interesting because um, for the so when I when COVID happened, I I, uh, I I had to close my hostel, and um, it was difficult for me because I was not really ready for stopping this this business. But at the same time, um, all the lessons I've learned and all the things I've done um, were somehow extraordinary for a lot of people. And um, and I I started to want to you know share what I know, and so I. I'm, I went to see my entrepreneur friends and I was like, hey, you know, if you need help, uh, I'm free now, I can help. And that's somehow how I, you know, uh, started to be like, oh, I need to have some sort of a title to uh, go to see these people. And so I was like, I don't want to be a consultant. It's not really something that I want. I want, I want to be more like, you know, focused on, on the person and focus more on the, on rather than on, you know, like their business and everything. And so this, this title of entrepreneur coach came, came to, to, to be defining me. But in the end, to be honest, Connor, um, I, I actually prefer to see myself now, like as a, you know, because now I'm full-time consulting for a company, it's called Commit and they, they provide um, optimized solutions for for companies. It's it's through softwares and through um, through an app. So you can basically all the all the people will actually uh, in the company be able to use that tool to work better and to improve their workflow and, and all these things. And this is part of what I've been you know trying to optimize when I was in the hostel. So this is completely aligned with the mission I have now. And what I do on the side is this blog. So this blog is actually an FAQ. I like to call it FAQ yes. uh, because it's questions I have as an entrepreneur that I, you know, start to answer. And in the idea behind is that you know other entrepreneurs could read it, find it insightful eventually, and you know, start a conversation with me. And that's that's why that's where I want to go. It's like. I'd rather be someone who is, you know, helping people to up to um, to start a conversation and to get interested in one one specific one specific thing, helping them to find the right question to ask, rather than uh, you know finding all the answers to everybody and and you know finding this method, this framework that works for everybody. I I don't have any framework, you know. Um, I don't have any method to to, to share with people really, uh, but I'm good at you know, finding the right questions to ask. So, so that's that's the way I I like to I like to coach people somehow is to help them to find the right questions and somehow that help them to make the right decisions afterwards. Yeah, I see. And based on your experiences as a entrepreneur so far and the work you do as a coach, are there any key tips or key pieces of advice that you would? advocate for and that you would like to leave to people aspiring to follow similar paths to the one that you took? 
Mm, yeah. Um, usually when you have, yeah, sure. So when you have an idea of a business, um, I would, I would advise people to not let this idea define themselves, but rather let this idea uh, lead them towards, you know, like to be, to be the starting point of their journey. And then um, if they have other ideas, if they want to stop this business and start another one, then they, sh they should follow this, um, this small little voice in their head that telling, that's telling them this. Because sooner or later, if they are um, not letting their ideas leave and evolve, then it's that's going to be having consequences on the way they offer the service, the way they solve this problem to, um, to, the, to their customers in their business. Um, I've seen so many people who are not happy as entrepreneurs in their own business, just because they don't you know, let their own new ideas take over and be like, now it's time for me to do this thing. And I was in that position before. When, I, when the hostel stopped because of COVID, I was relieved, I, like part of me was relieved mm. because I was you know, uh, imprisoned in that, in that business somehow as well, uh, even though I was thriving and I was happy. But um, when, I, when that stopped, I was like, yeah, but I'm still here. I can still do things. I still have ideas. And, I, and that's how I, I also you know, managed to arrive here as well today. So um, that's, that's my biggest advice, I guess, is to, is to, to follow these, these, these things, these intuitions that you have and, uh, and not, not be too much um, concerned about the reality of how they are executed. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose my next question, upon reflection, might be slightly broad, but obviously entrepreneurship, like everything else really, will have changed dramatically since the COVID pandemic. What changes in entrepreneurship do you see occurring in the next couple of years as a result? Do people need to be more adaptable, a bit more understanding when starting out their business? What sort of changes do you see coming up? It's, it's, a, it's a good question. And actually I'm going to answer it. The, because, so, <laughs> so because of COVID, um, one thing I've, I've realized is if you don't wanna die of stress <laughs> at some point, you have to stop planning too much ahead and you have to, 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 to be more going with the weeks, I guess, rather than going with the quarters and the years. And so like your vision stay intact, but you apply, you know, the re like you use the reality of the week. So it's, it's easier to be satisfied and it's easier to, you know, not drown into worries and anxiety because things are changing so fast and this new app is coming up and you have to use it for your business because it's going to change the way your productivity uh, is at the moment. Or these uh, competitors just, you know, got bought by a big company and now they have super high um, means and they can, uh, they can take over anyone and then your business will die or whatever. And so, um, because everything is changing very fast. And I think it's true that we can apply it to our personal development as well, as entrepreneurs again, but as anyone as well, of course, um, to, you know, like 
take the time to plan your week, for example, but not worry too much about, you know, what's going to happen in the next three months, in the next six months or in the next years. And that way is, is a way of, you know, answering your question as well, because I can't predict what's going to happen in the next three years or, or five years. I can only make assumptions, but these would be polluting, you know, um, the conversation that we have instead of, you know, we could focus on uh, what can we do in the next week to actually make our, our vision a reality. If your vision is to, you know, do this, then what you can do in the next week to be satisfied about, the, about yourself to implement this vision and make it a reality. And I think it's, it's what is the new way to go somehow. Yeah, and no, I agree. And I think it goes back to the book and the text we've referenced in this conversation of Atomic Habits, where getting 1% better over time makes you an extreme, I can't remember the exact figure from the book, but extremely yes. more productive than you would have been yeah. in a year. So yeah, I think it is a case of just celebrating the small wins and controlling what you can control, which is the here and now and the next day and the next mm -hmm hour even until the next week and month and make if you take care of those then the future will almost take care of itself if that makes sense i mean it's always interesting to discuss about what's going to happen but i know a lot of people they are stressed about it and i am stressed about you know what if ai take over the world or what if you know um this happened and that happened and what if covid doesn't disappear whatever but then when you start reading all these um news about this and you start to worry it doesn't help you you know in your day-to-day -to, -day to be more healthy or to be more happy we, we all want to be more happy right we all want to be more successful or more uh, comfortable in our lives or i don't know like um whatever we are seeking it's it's a long-term thing, so <clears throat> we cannot associate it with the events that going to, that's going to happen in the world. Like, there are always going to be war, I guess, always going to be uh, people you know, dying of hunger and everything. And, and of course, like, we sh if you want to do something about it, then you should you know, rather consider what can you do next week, like during the next week to solve that problem rather than, you know, oh, but should I start doing this because in three years, this is going to happen? No, we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. And we can control it, actually, if every week you do a little bit, I guess. Yeah, absolutely, step by step. And that's the coaching side of things uh, discussed. Can we talk more about Creators in Saigon, Nicholas, which is where I came across you and also your co-hosts, Dana and Tuwezi, who have been on. Shout out to those guys. Um, how, did yeah, you how did you get involved with that podcast? So um, at the time, I was organizing some meetups with uh, Tuwezi, and we were calling it actually Meetups for Entrepreneurs, I think, or Saturday's Meetup, I forgot. <laughs> But anyway, we wanted to invite entrepreneurs to discuss and to have conversations about time management, fear setting, goal setting, um, relationship management, eventually leadership, uh, business, of course, and but not so much business. And um, 
and 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 yeah, and that, in that process, I was looking for uh, listening to more, you know, podcasts made in Vietnam, and I somehow one of my former guests recommended me Creators in Saigon, and on my post, the, I, Dana commented, and then she went straight to my um, private message, and she was like, "Oh, my favorite episode is this one and this one." Uh, but I actually stopped doing this podcast because of COVID. And now I'm more into, you know, coaching and everything. Mm. And I was like, hold on. Like, we just have these meetups every Saturdays where you could be really welcome to join us, you know. And I started listening listening to her podcast. It was amazing. And um, we met. And, and at this point, I was like, with Tracy, we were like, we should, you know, offer her to maybe join the podcast and reopen it because we wanted to have a voice as well. Uh, and so, yeah, and so my um, <clears throat> my um, my friend Tracy was like, okay, um, we want to do a podcast. Dana has a podcast. She just stopped it. But what about, you know, restarting it and, and, and trying to bring our own um, values in it and, and see where, where that leads us? And it turned out that Dana is actually amazing because she, she, she's, she's an entrepreneur for me. Like she's the person, you know, who follows her ideas and she's, she's not hesitating to change opinions and everything. And so with Tracy, we really clicked, I guess. And really, we were like, okay, uh, she accepted, of course, uh, I mean, of course, but I mean, like she, she liked the idea of continuing, of having co-hosts. And uh, actually the fact that we are three people helped us to keep up with the rhythm because as you, um, I should ask you the question, right? But um, podcasting is somehow taking a lot of time. And um, when you are three, you can really, you know, produce more consistently and, and have the help of others. It, it's really helpful. So, so yeah, that's, that's how it started. Yeah, massively. And what have you learned about yourself, perhaps, from doing the podcasting game? Or, yeah, what are the lessons that have applied for you here? Mm, one big lesson, I guess, is that um, I'm realizing that um, I like to talk about entrepreneurship a lot. I like to meet entrepreneurs, and um, I'm really interested in in you know, how people make decisions, um, what defined, like how they view things, how they organize themselves and all these things. And um, because of this podcast, I could uh, ask these questions to, to different kinds of people who we were interviewing. And of course I could, you know, ask if I, if I, if I was not the host, I could ask, you know, for example, if Dana was hosting, I could ask her to ask this question for me because that would really be uh, meaningful to have the input of someone else on it. And I think that's the best thing you can get out of a podcast is to learn from other people, stories and other people um, um, way of thinking. It's, it's very fascinating actually. And if we just talk about creators in Saigon, like, I mean, we are called creators in Saigon, but honestly, like uh, the, the journey is not, it's just starting in Saigon, but it could be anywhere else. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and uh, you may not be able to answer, but if I may ask you, what is going to be the future of creators in Saigon? 
from this point, there's obviously going to be a lot of change coming up. Are you able to speak more about that or would you rather keep private for now? Uh, no, so we released the episode now. So Dana is leaving back to the US and with that decision, she decided not to continue Creators in Saigon herself because she, she well, she explained it in that episode. So I'm not going to spoil that, but basically yeah, I'll, I'll um, to this episode because we not only just, you know, make an announcement, but she explained she explains, you know, the difficulties behind such a decision, and she explains also the decision process behind it. So, um, so it's it's interesting too. And for me, so what I decided it was it was to take this as an opportunity to stop as well the podcast or at least the podcasting uh, thing for now, um, because. The questions I like to ask to people for now, uh, I want to pose and I want to start, you know, asking them to myself and see what I would answer as well. So that's why also like I'm, I'm posting more on my blog. I'm posting on my blog and uh, because of the Dana made, I made the same decision to leave to, 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 to let's say, um, focus more on my blog, I would say. And uh, Tracy is looking for a new host. He's looking for a, a female host, he would say. And uh, we are selecting people at the moment, trying to see which one could be the best fit. And I guess the best is to ask Tracy what he thinks of doing. We are here to help him on the decision, but because he's going to be the person who is working on it 24 seven, I would say, um, or at least concerned about it 24 seven. Mm. Um, I'm not going to interfere in his decision. I'm here if he needs my input, I guess, um, sure. as a friend. But uh, yeah, like uh, for now, what I think, what I think is like we want to keep the weekly meetups, like the weekly release of episodes. Um, it helped us to, you know, keep us some sort of a, a a rhythm, which is good in anything that you do. Again, it goes back to this thing of habits. Um, but yeah, that's it. Excellent. And we have mentioned, and that's the future of creators. The com conversation is coming to an end, Nicholas, but the question that I asked towards the end also relates to future. In terms of your own work then and your own journey, what would you like to achieve going forward? What are your aims for the near future as we currently speak? Sure. So... I want to have uh, to to post more. I'm 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 writing every day right now on my blog. Questions I ask myself, or questions that entrepreneurs usually have, and it's hard to find a defi a definite answer. And um, the idea is that with my experience and with my perspective, I try to bring a beginning of an answer, and then eventually, in the future, we are a community of you know, people asking the same questions and trying to help each other to answer it. And I don't necessarily think of what it could become, but uh, one thing that I like to see is uh, some sort of an ongoing support system for entrepreneurs uh, where, you know, big, not only because you start, but also because you are experienced in entrepreneurship, you still face problems and challenges and once you solve something, another thing come up. And so the idea is to be able to help no matter you know, what level of entrepreneurship you have, 
and uh, because I think because the um, the problems are always you know just bigger or just a little bit different, but in the end the fundamental of the problem is the same. You need to make a decision. You need to understand your problem. You need to detect it. You need to anticipate all these things. And this is basically valid for, you know, when you are starting as where you are eight years old in business and, uh, and, and you're still, you know, struggling with the same patterns of things. So um, yeah, ongoing support for entrepreneurs and why not, you know, having a nice community of people around, around me. Um, yeah, anything can happen, I guess. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm confident about this, this thing in the future because I love writing every day on this blog. So as long as I love it, I will keep doing it. Excellent. And where can we find out more about what you do online or on social media, Nicholas? Online is going to be my, my website, nicolastran.com. And um, there is a contact form and that goes straight to my inbox. So you guys are welcome to message me. And of course, on social media is the same, uh, nicolastran.com. Excellent. Well, Nicholas, thank you very much for your time today. I've really appreciated having this conversation and I've also enjoyed it. Keep up the good work and I hope to meet soon once this coronavirus chaos is over thank you connor and yes of course i'll pay you a beer because we are both thirsty after this interview absolutely man <laughs> take care <laughs> bye